so it's a privilege this morning to to speak on the church. I mean, I wanted to speak about something else, and and <laughs> and I tried my best, and I thought, you know, I'm sure Vesey speaks about the church often, and it's the tenth anniversary of the church, and maybe God wants me to speak about something else. And uh, this morning at four o'clock, I had to dump my message and give it a go again because God, I just God arrested my heart, and I just wanted to speak about this beautiful body, this beautiful bride, as it's called in scripture, the church. And I want to give you sort of a, a my 10,000, 30,000 feet sort of overview. I'm just going to sort of run through a few uh, thoughts that I believe God has, 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 has put on, on my mind. I'm definitely not going to give you an, an everything about the church. I'm not going to say everything there is to say about the church. But I want to start with... Um, a quote by a very uh, profound philosopher. And he said the following. He said, a lot of people who are religious, I think they get lost. They go to church just to go to church. I'm not trying to disrespect them. But for me, I focus more on praying and talking to them. I don't have to go to church. And this profound philosopher is, of course, Justin Bieber. And, um, and so... This morning's message, for some of us, will be a reminder that what we give ourselves to, God is so passionate about. It's His very body. It's not something different. It's His body. And He's given Himself up for it. And I'm going to talk about it just now. And for some of us, it might be a challenge. Because if you know me well, you know I have a smile on my face, but I'm not too scared to say what I need to say. And so the interesting thing is that's what Justin Bieber says. Thank you, Justin Bieber. But I see something different, quite contrary to that, in Acts 9 verse 3. And this is sort of the essence of my passion. And it's this. And Sorry, it's, it's a New Living Translation. I probably never told you that. So if you hear I'm reading a different translation, because I'm Afrikaans, so it's just easier for me. Acts 9 verse 3 says, as he was approaching Damascus, this is Paul, he killed the church. Yummy he killed the church. Paul was killing people in the church. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around, uh, around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's confusing. He wasn't persecuting Jesus. He's persecuting the church. He noticed that. Basically, basically through Acts, this is what Luke is saying to us. You mess, you mess with the church, you mess with me. You mess with the church, you mess with me. I'm confused when people say, I love Jesus, but I struggle with the church. It's like, huh? It's like, explain that to me. I love the church, but I don't love the church. I, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I have a few problems with the church. Imagine, <clears throat> imagine you go to somebody, you go to your wife and you say, man, I just love you so much, but mm, got a bit of problem with your body. Men, how will that go down? It's like your wife coming to you and she stands in front of you and says, I can you see I've lost weight? And you're in trouble. Because if you say yes, you mean you thought she was a bit overweight. If you say no, it means she's still overweight. And the best response is, how would you like to me to answer that? But what I see here 
You mess with the church, you mess with Jesus. They're not separated. It's always, I love to say always, you know, I, I'm confused. And, and by the way, it's nothing to do with me leading a church because I once upon a time didn't lead a church. I'm a Christian for over 30 years and I've only led a church, uh, lead a church for about 14 years and been on eldership for another two or three years. So I've not led my whole life. And I just love this. And it, I remember when I got born again, I started, I, I just automatically loved the church. It's never stopped loving the church. And I was a bit annoyed sometimes, but I stopped loving the church. So the first question I want to ask is, is the church actually a big deal? Maybe, maybe that's not enough for you. And see, what I see Paul saying to the Ephesians, a specific church in Asia or somewhere in Europe, Asia, he says to this church, Ephesus, he says, God's purposes in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So God's purposes from the beginning, and I know many of you will know this, but God's purposes was not work to work through some man-made organization, but it's to work through his body, the church, to display everything about him, all his, all the mysteries of Christ, to the seen and the unseen, the wisdom, the fullness of the wisdom of God, he wanted to display through the church. And you will see later, not just church big C, because we love, some would love to say, I belong to the big C church, but I, you know, the local church is a bit of a problem. Sorry, it's a bit of a, it's, it's like you saying to me, that it's like me saying that I'm a human being, but I don't have a family. You know, I'm not a Lombard, I'm just, you know, generically part of the human race. I just don't understand that logic. And see what I also see, because I know it must be a big deal to Jesus because most of the New Testament is about the church. It's about writing letters to the church. And I see when, when the whole, most part of it is letters written, not to a generic church, but to specific churches. Ephesus, Colossians, Philip, and, and I can go on. Even ones that have the name of individuals was written to a church and it says, Hey church, read this. And then when you finish with it, won't you send it to all the other churches to read as well? Written to the churches, addressing challenges in a specific location with specific leaders. It's not just generic, broadly speaking. Something that obviously we would like because we, we would love to say that we belong to the invisible church. But when it becomes real, it's like, ooh, it's a bit uncomfortable. And trust me, I'm just warming up. I'm going to make it even more uncomfortable. Once I'm going to ask a few questions. So I want to then that boost me to my next point. So, I, so when I look at the New Testament, if I just have to look at the book, the Bible, the New Testament, I mean, we don't even, I, I don't have the time. Time doesn't allow me to go into the Old Testament and show you that it was always God's plan to work through a people in a place. And so when we look at the New Testament, the bulk of it is about the local church, specific person, specific sorry, leadership, specific location. So what is the church? And I'm not going to be able to attach all of it. I want to look at three images of the local church. And one is the local church as the body of Christ. And I know many of you know this. But see, it's such a big deal that when... When Peter stands up to preach that an amazing sermon in Acts, in Acts 2, when he stands up and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, the new church is about to be formed, and, and then they cut to the heart and say, what must we do? He says, repent and be baptized, right? It's like big deal. 
But, the, but, I, but then in another place, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, be baptizing to the church. So that idea of baptism wasn't just an identification with what is happening at salvation, the dying of selves, the, the resurrection with Christ and come alive in Christ, but it also had the picture of us being baptized into the church. You cannot be born again. You cannot come to Jesus and just be baptized, be saved into a blank, be saved into a nothingness. But we need to be saved into something specifically among a people. So there we get the idea that we are baptized into the church. Big deal, right in the beginning. So much more to say about the body. I can't get there. Second image that I see is the church being mentioned or being called the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, Don't you realize that your body and yours, they're plural, not singular, English is a bit weak. The English is difficult for the English to say that. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you realize that God's presence, His manifest presence, is, 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 is represented, is, is channeled through you and me? That's scary. It's replaced the temple of the Old Testament where they had to come to a specific place to worship the king. Now you and I are te a temple coming together so that the very presence of God can work in us and through us so that this display of God's glory can be seen through the church. Scary. I hope it's, it should be scary. I look at my walk with God and I look at the, the junk I get up to and it's like, oh. I represent Christ. I'm an ambassador to God, ambassador to Christ. I think, I think we take this church thing way too light. I do, even after leading a church for so many years. I still think sometimes I just take it too lightly. And then it continues and it says, and there it speaks about the body being a temple and says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, was given to you by God. You, this is hectic. You do not belong to yourself. But in the in the society we live in, we think we are the epitome of freedom and autonomy and do what we want. And, and what I read here is you not your own. You belong to one another. And it, and it brings up that idea, that, co that concept that you see in other places in Scripture where it talks about fellowship. You and I are in fellowship with one another. No, in fellowship does not mean let's share football scores and let's talk about work. Fellowship, the literal meaning of the word fellowship means, means a spiritual intercourse, if you go and study the word. That's what it means. Go and study it. Go and look for yourself. I know this is how it works in the modern church. Fact check. Google. Remember that one? I must check if Marnie talked rubbish there. Go for it. <laughs> Fellowship. We belong to one another. That's the image of, of the body. Before God, hear this. For God bought you. He redeemed you with a high price. It's as if you and I, and, and we see that picture in Uzziah, the, the, the prophet speaking about it. It's like, we, you and I, was, were on a slave market, enslaved to our sin, and Jesus comes, and he redeems us, and he says, I'm, I'll buy you, I'll pay for you. And that your debt still has to be paid, and, I, and, and he buys you from a slave market, and you're now enslaved to him. So, 
because I've redeemed you, because I've bought you, before, because I paid for you. So, honor God with your body. Bring glory to God through your body. And now it gets more uncomfortable. And see, God, God is so serious about his church that he's, how can I say this nicely? That he's willing to discipline you. And there's not just one little scripture hidden somewhere. I remember sitting with somebody one day and I said to him, buddy, do you know there's such a thing as church discipline? He says, no way, God's a loving God. He's not called us to judge people. It's like Matthew 18. He, I'm not joking now. He stood up out of his chair. We were drinking coffee together. He ran to his, to his car to go and fetch a Bible to go and see if it's indeed true. It's like it was such a shock to him. And Matthew 18, you can go and read it. Fact check me again. <clears throat> Matthew 18. It's not applicable to non-members, by the way. If you're not born again, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're not part of a church, this is not the, what, I just, what I'm just saying now does not apply at all to you. So you can chill. Kiss it back. So thank the Lord. So this is where you take a mid-sermon nap. Five minutes. I'll be out in five minutes. And so God takes this, take this whole thing of discipline so, so serious that in Romans 16, 17, he speaks about it again. And he says, watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Ha! Mom, mom, this is intense. I'm sure this is R-rated. This is really, what translation are you reading? I mean, come on, come on. We're sitting there. Are, we, are you comfortable with this? It's like, ooh. I mean, I'm sure that none of you have ever gossiped. So just don't worry. I mean, gossip has nothing to do with division. I know none of you have ever gossiped about leaders. This happens in Gospel Central Church. Of course, we have a few people now and again that gossip. But I know no, nobody here will gossip. And so... And so, and so this is what it's saying here. And then in Corinthians 5, 11, Paul again, he says, I mean that you are not associated with anyone who claims to be a believer who indulges in sexual sin. In other words, sleeping with a partner before they get married, always greedy. In other words, everything is about money. Or worship idols. In other words, God replacing, worshiping other things like our children, a good thing becoming an ultimate thing. Or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or is a, or a drunkard, in other words, drink, gets tipsy, because we've got nice words for drunk, being drunk, tipsy. It's called drunkenness. Or cheat people, pay less for things that we should be paying for it. Don't even eat with such people. It's talking about Christians, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Not non-Christians, Christians. It isn't my responsibility, ooh. There's a strange, it's a strange translation, huh? I'm sure it's not in your Bible. Verse 12. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, people outside of the body of Christ, unbelievers. But it's certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church, really, who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. It's so clear. Nothing to say further. Can we move on? It's clear. Is it clear? It's clear. Cool. Do you like it? Don't lie. Don't like it. I don't like it. It's like, geez. I mean, I've been greedy at times. Yep. Yes, I have. I've been greedy. I've gossiped. What do you think when you become a pastor, you become immune to sin? I've... Then it talks about another 
picture of the church, the bride. It says, I love you. No, that I said already, so I don't have to say that. It's called the bride of Christ. And then it says in, in Ephesians, this is the favorite husband verse. Ephesians 5.25. For husbands, I know it's the submit one they like, not this one. For husbands, this means love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave, his, he gave himself up for her. I said quite a bit about that already. The bride of Christ. Jesus died on a cross for this. Jesus was murdered on a cross for this. He died the death you should have died. He lived the life you cannot live outside of Christ. And when we look at, and when we look at this, this church, it also had leaders. Won't we just want to gather in a home and everybody can just fellowship and every kind of, I've heard people say that to me, come on a home and there's no leaders. Nobody imposes their will on us. We can just sit and everybody can just share. So free. I've heard people say, oh, now that I've left the church, I'm so happy. No, of course you're happy because you can do what you want. Because nobody in the body of Christ are called to do what they want. Nobody, not me, not Vesey, nobody. It looks maybe from a distance like, Jesus, it would be so nice to be a leader one day. I can just do what I want. I can do what I want in the church. No, Vesey cannot do what he wants in the church. There's much more to it. <laughs> so, so there's this thing in, in Philippians 1.1, it talks about the elders, the saints, and uh, the elders, the deacons, and the saints, specifically speaking about leadership, which we would love to write out of the scriptures because we live in a society where we don't like leaders. We, we sort of... We're sort of very cautious about leadership. Then you mentioned the word leadership. It's like the L word. It's like, ooh, don't use the L word. No, I'm so submitted to my leaders. Are you? And when they do something you don't like, and I'm not asking you to sin, they don't sin, but they do something you don't like, or it's not your style, it's not your preference, you still submit to your leaders. Because that's also what submission means. Because the Bible says, ladies or women need to submit to men and sometimes we know men can do stupid things sometimes don't they i'm not going to unpack all that huh or your man the smartest guy around so it's talking about leadership you know that's the part i might have thought yes man do we have to have leaders in the church it's so nice we can just all free kumbaya my lord kumbaya uh, you started first i should my next time is my turn to sing first huh and the Bible is so serious about leadership that it actually talks in 1 Timothy 3, 16 and in Titus, a whole portion just to tell you how, what's the qualifications of a leader. And it's not skill. There's one skill comment you must be able to teach. All the other stuff is character stuff. So if, he's, if you think your leader is not a hot shot, we're not talking about this one, but in lead general, your leader is not a hot shot. What does that mean? Because your idea of success is in any way a reflection of what you may be idolizing. So it talks about character. And then it goes on. It's like, yeah, this Bible is a complicated book. Huh? It's like, it should be R-rated. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. <laughs> Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. That's where you should go. Wow. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. 
In other words, some of us that think they've got the spiritual gift of criticism, maybe you need to repent. The spiritual, the spiritual gift of opinion, you're also welcome to repent. Because I have opinions. If you know me well, man, have I got opinions on how things should be done. If I'm here long enough, I surely will even have an opinion of how I think this church should be led. And I should be so wrong. And I will be so wrong because I'm not called to lead this church. So let's make it a joy. So what are we called to do as a church? First of all, we called, and it's not all of it, it's just a few. We called to gather. And it's not just talking about a Sunday, but we need to gather. We need to get into each other's faces. And by the way, YouTube is not gathering, it's just YouTube. That's all it is. And by the way, I've heard people say they submit to that wonderful, sparky leader that you watch on YouTube that you don't know his life, you don't know his character, you don't know who he's accountable to, he's not going to visit you in hospital, and he doesn't pray for you, but hey, that's your, you and your buddy, and your pastor, sorry, sorry, let's not talk about this pastor, let's talk about Marnie compared to the YouTube guys, very average. He's not good looking, we've determined that already, um, he speaks with an Afrikaans accent, he's got the wrong skin color, or whatever, wrong culture, and so he doesn't compare. And so we sign up for our idea of church called YouTube, which is so lacquer. I mean, it feeds into our consumerism. Three songs that I like, the word, the pizza I like, as long as I like, to watch it where I want to, on my couch, with my cup of coffee, just the way I like it, not the way they make it the church and it's like too strong, it's too weak, and it's got no sugar in it. And when I wanted, that's so nice. I don't have to do this uncomfortable thing of waking up early. I can do it when I want to. So cool, isn't it? See, a community of Christians, the church is a community of Christians who love and serve one another with their gifts. They don't aspire to have the most important gifts so that they can tell people, I am Prophet Marnie, or Apostle Marnie, or Pastor Marnie, but I have a gift so that I can serve you, so that I can love you, with that gift God has given me. And the community of Christians are called to restore one another, to forgive one another, that thing we now struggle with, to forgive one another, to motivate, this is all in scripture, I can't go to all of it, motivate one another, to pray for one another, to weep with one another, to hurt with one another, to comfort one another, to confess sin to one another, yep, yep, to confess sin to one another. You think, you know those sins you commit? You can just figure it out with Jesus. It'll all go well. Nah. I've got personal, personal, personally, I can tell you there's sins that I've struggled with in the past. The moment I brought them into the light, the moment I confessed it to a real person, it changed everything. So that imaginary person that you want to confess to, it's imaginary. I didn't say church is easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Didn't say that. Never said it. We'll never say that. And then we call to teach and counsel one another. And then we call to speak the truth to one another in love, Ephesians 4, 15. Truth without love is not truth. And love without truth is not love. Love is not a therapeutic idea that makes us feel good because love means you before me. And lust means me before you. So love will cost you. Love is at your expense sometimes. So when the Bible talks about speak the truth in love, 
Many of us want to run away. It's like, oh, you know, I just, no, I just, I'm just, I'm so kind and loving. I'm not going to speak to them about their problems. No, man, what you're doing is you're just fearing people. That's all. We don't bring enough glory to God, so we bring glory to people, and we fear people, and now we call it, you know, I'm just kind. Now you're not kind, you're not loving. Because if I see the little snolly in your nose, I need to tell you about the snolly in your nose. Just like you need to tell me about the snolly in my nose. Right? That's why my wife has to tell me when there's ear, hair growing out of my ears. Because I don't see them all the time and I'm over 50. That's why your wife has to tell you there's gray hair coming out of your nose. Because you're over 50. Youngsters, you don't know what I'm talking about. It's coming to you. <coughs> Secular researcher, Barry, secular, no Christian, Barry Duncan said on what makes counseling effective. He says 40% of effective counseling. In other words, 40% of being effective, discipling one another, loving one another, caring for one another, speaking into one another's life, that's what counseling means. It's not a special word. That's what it means. Counseling is just discipleship. He says 40% is dependent on the quality of relational resources available to you. This is in Christian language. 40% is dependent on how you know one another. How you engage one another. How you are willing to speak difficult things into one another's life and willing to hear it and engage in one another's life, gathering in each other's faces in a good way, loving, hugging, praying, crying. That's what that means. 30% is dependent on the level of trust between the counselor and the counselee. Oh, I'm out of it. Because I don't know if I can trust these people. No, this, unfortunately, there's not an out either. So when we've lost trust with somebody, we need to trust him so that he will restore that. But we don't have an out because somebody has broken our trust. We're called to trust one another. And unless we are in spiritual intercourse with one another, fellowship, we're not going to be able to do this. Ah, and then um, what does the church also do? Here's my, here's my favorite one to make you uncomfortable. It's called giving. Have you heard of that one before? Because it's a hard check thing. And when we come up with all those excuses why we can't give and should not give and not to the local church and I don't believe in the tithe because it's Old Testament and I don't believe that we free will offering and all those kind of things. It's just... Uh, wonderful display of your heart condition looking for excuses for that which God has called all of us to do because I know when I'm not generous and that happens I know I say to myself oh I just do not understand the gospel and Jesus does make it uncomfortable for us because you need to give and then allow a leadership to to steward that with others leaders in a way that you might not steward it yeah i'm just i'm going to mention the obvious we call to witness we call to be fruitful we call to obedience in other words me god and the bible is not enough even if you think it is no 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 it sounds good show me in scripture where it's like it's me god and the bible it's like oh, just, oh i just know the whole book of ephesians i can recite the book of Ephesians and then philippians and you know what the book of hebrews i can recite it backwards it's wonderful are you obeying it we should be called to to greater obedience 
That little you know, if you obey it, is probably more than the next guy that knows a lot and do nothing about it. So we call to obedience, very uncomfortable thing. And see, what I believe is, if you've not heard it before, is this, I'm nearly done, don't worry. It is biblically, spiritually, practically impossible to be a disciple of Christ apart from total devotion to a family of Christians. I am available the whole afternoon to discuss this with you. When I'm by myself, I can deceive myself that I'm growing, that I'm changing, that I'm loving. Can I tell you what? I was the most sanctified Christian I know during COVID. You couldn't find a more amazing Christian. Me. And then the church opened after two months and it all got messed up. Because then I met imperfect people. Of course, I was, a per I was perfect. <clears throat> and see, people have opinions of what they think is sanctification and they say, oh, it's changing. No, change only happens when change happens. And see, I can't see my sin. I've got blind spots. I need you to tell me behind you, just here, to the left, there is a sin. And I need to tell you, the Bible talks about it, 2 Peter 1, 3 onwards, talks about we're blind to the gospel. We forget what Jesus has done. We're blind to our own sin. And I need you, and I mean, I hope I don't need you, because it's not comfortable when you tell me there's a sin. It's something you need to deal in your life with. You know, Bonnie, you're good with truth. But on kindness, you can polish that a bit. You can work on that one. And that's a true story, by the way. I don't struggle with truth. Kindness is my challenge. I need to make it sound like I'm actually don't want to club you or anything like that. That's true. Got a I know I've got a serious face as well. So it's not, it's not imaginary stuff. I would love, like the Tower of Babel, would like to create it in a God or an image of myself. And like everybody can be like me because then we're not, I'm, of course I don't differ with myself. Imagine everybody can just like me. Everybody's going to just have, have the right to my opinion. Wouldn't that be marvelous? And see, our default, my default, your default, is this. Same comfort and hiding. You know, they're in the Garden of Eden. What did they do when they sinned? Fig tree, fig tree, fig leaves. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, whoever isolates, because I thought this is amazing scripture, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Do I have to explain that? Is that clear? I think so, it's wonderful. And I want to finish with this. Because I want to, I don't want you to think that I'm having a go at anyone here. It's not that I want you to think that I want you to... I thought it's a celebration, morning. Because when I look at Scripture, when God calls us to something, I hope that this is, this is hope where you are right now, where you're saying, I can't do all that. Brilliant, you can't. You are right. You know, all the stuff he's just spoken about, I can't do that. If you think you can, you don't understand the gospel, because I don't think you can do all that stuff. All the stuff I spoke about, all those, all those things you call to, all those high callings, all those, those hectic stuff I spoke about, I don't think 
I don't think it comes naturally. But then I want to read 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11, and I'm going to finish with this. It says, so, Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonians, says, so, we keep on praying for you, asking God to enable you. God's power enabling you. God's strength, not your strength. God's God enabling you to live a life worthy worthy of His call. Whatever God's called you to, whatever you heard this morning, whatever conviction you had, whatever challenge you felt, God will enable you. You and I are not able, you are not able to love outside of Christ. Not how I understand it. He's the initiator of love. He loved, therefore you can love. And if you can love outside of Him, you don't understand love. It's just a romantic version that you've seen on, in Hollywood somewhere. Or in these days, South Korean movies. It says, He's enabling you to live a life worthy of His call. May He, I love it, may He give you the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the death, from, from the death, uh, from, from the grave. My word, there's theological problems here. Raised Jesus from the dead. That same power is available to you and me. Not another power, same power. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. All these things that we've been challenged with, convicted with, God's calling us to as a body of believers. He's enabling us. He's empowering us to accomplish all these things. Then, why is this important? Because then the name of the Lord Jesus will be honored, will be glorified because of this grace. It speaks, says it again. Because this grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His grace, His enabling power in you. And then I'm going to skip to chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, Thessalonians 2 verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ, by His grace, I'm leaving parts out for sake, time's sake, by His grace, there we see it again, give us eternal comfort. God is also God of comfort. It's not just about empowering us through His grace and through His power, but He also comes in our difficulty. So you might be struggling, and it might have been that you've gone to great suffering in the last while. And here we see that this God does not just save, but He also comforts in your pain, in your suffering, in your lack, in your whatever you experience. You might have been the victim of, of, of all sorts of sin. And he says, I will give you eternal comfort. And then, I love this, and a wonderful hope that I am coming for my bride. He's saying, I'm coming for you. Be ready. I'm coming for you. And there's great rewards waiting for you in heaven if you stay faithful. There's some hope. Let's walk out here today and not be weighed down by what we call to, but say, it's possible in Christ. Because He's empowering us through His grace. And He's comforting us. And He's giving us a great hope. And then in verse 17, it sort of repeats it again. The God of comfort and strength, that He will comfort you and give you strength and everything good thing you're called to do.
And when I see in the Bible words repeated, it means that's a big deal. That's what it basically means. When you see repetitive sort of words in a specific portion. So I want to end with that. I wanted to start with that verse and I just forgot. That's honest. I mean, I can say, oh, I just didn't feel, I forgot. Sorry, I'm not trying to be T.D. Jakes. I'm really sweating. <laughs> can I pray for us? Can we, as we celebrate this momentous moment of, of celebrating 10 years of God's faithfulness, even if you have not been here in the past, but you're here now, that's what matters. That's what matters. You're here now. And hopefully some of you, if you're part of this congregation, will continue to be here. That you will go away with, this is worth it. It's worth it to give myself to this. To his body, to his bride. It's worth it. I want to pray for us. Can I do that? Oh, Father, I want to thank you for these incredible, faithful, beautiful people that love you so dearly. And Father, I pray for those that are sitting here this morning and, and feel they are, they are um, um, their hearts are, are sort of touched, Lord. Um, and I pray, Father, that as some of us sitting here by the Holy Spirit have been convicted, and know that we need to change our posture towards your bride. That we will not wait till we get home, but we'll just say, oh Lord, forgive me. Simple as that. Oh Lord, forgive me. I got this wrong. I repent. I repent of my wrongdoing and I ask, I put my faith in you. I ask, help me, empower me, strengthen me. Comfort me at this moment. And Father, I also pray for those this morning that love this body. Even if they're not part of this body, but they love this body and they, they worship somewhere else. They love this body. Thank you for them. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible, amazing, wonderful work you're going to continue doing through these beautiful people sitting here. Not just in this nation, but at people all over the world, like we saw this morning, will know of, 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 of your fame because they see these people loving you. That, that these people loving you, these peculiar people that you've gathered in Bulawayo in 2022, and Father, their love for one another will be such a fragrant aroma to those around them that people will walk in you and say, what's this? I want this. So Father, comfort us this morning. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.